Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. And man, I have a love-hate relationship with these four games a day in the first round. I love to see that we start basketball at 1 p.m. Eastern and it ends all the way up until about 11.30 at night. Uh, basketball all day is definitely not something uh, I'm complaining about, but... When you work a full-time job like myself uh, and you've got a social life to manage, you like to play basketball, you go to the gym, there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of actually wanting to watch every single game every single day and night. Uh, and that's really gets proven with the 1p 1:30 p.m. games where I have to have the screen going at work to try and peek at what's going on. And then the 4 p.m. game, I can usually never get to because I'm on my way home from work. I go straight to the gym. I come back, and there's usually about six minutes to go in the game. And then I'm able to catch usually the the last couple games from 6.30 uh, to 9.30. And I won't be doing that today, unfortunately, because we've got uh, the Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers going on. That series is 3-0. I'm recording this at about 7.54 p.m. So I thought at this point it's probably a good idea to do an Eastern Conference and Western Conference uh, series update, I guess is what I'll call it. And today we'll do the Eastern Conference. I'll do a pod tomorrow on the West. Uh, But the the Eastern Conference hasn't really been as competitive uh, as I would have liked to have seen it. There's been a lot of... Uh, blowouts, um, series that you know not don't nece- haven't necessarily gone anywhere. Series that a couple series have already been completed, and a couple of that look like we know the answers to. So let's. I just wanted to go over kind of quickly uh, the review of some of these series, and uh, I think we've got the winners pretty much sorted out for all four in the Eastern Conference. So let's go ahead and talk about the Eastern Conference series, and we'll start with the one-seed Milwaukee Bucks versus the eight-seed Orlando Magic. My prediction before the series started was the Bucks in four. Uh, the series sits right now at 3-1 Milwaukee with their win today against Orlando. And so from Milwaukee's perspective, you know, it, Giannis has been the hub uh, as expected uh, offensively. He's, he's dominating the paint against the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic don't really have a true shot blocker in there or anybody that's going to deter him from getting where he wants to go uh, in the paint. They don't have that individual defender that they can put on Giannis to make his life more difficult. As we know, Jonathan Isaac not in the uh, the lineup for the Magic with, uh, with that knee injury he had earlier. And so Giannis is getting in the paint and dominating at will. And he's knocking down, you know, his threes to some extent, despite not taking many. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's now started to experiment with that little, you know, you sag off me two or three feet. I'm going to take this left-right plant into a three-pointer. And he's made a couple of those, starting to see if he can kind of experiment with those uh, that shot that he might need in the later rounds, looking like it'll be against Miami in the next series. Uh, but he's been put. The Bucks in general have really been putting in a dominant effort on both ends. Chris Middleton struggling a little bit today. He did get it going in the fourth quarter. Uh, but again, this this looks like more of a tune-up series for Milwaukee. They've got a, a lot of guys that they can go uh, deep, deep, deep into their rotation with. They go about, I would say, uh, ten deep, and any one of those ten guys could be playing at any time. So uh, Eric Bledsoe, Dante Divincenzo, George Hill. 
Wes Matthews, Pat Connaughton, uh, Chris Middleton, Kyle Korver, Giannis, Marvin Williams, Brooke, and Robin Lopez. That's actually 11 guys. Uh, and that doesn't mention Ursan Ilyasova and DJ Wilson, uh, along with uh, even Sterling Brown, who could see minutes in some situations. So the Milwaukee Bucks go very deep into their rotation, and uh, that's, uh, that's a problem for any team that, they have, that they'll have an answer if one guy doesn't have it going. Um, but... Overall, we understand what the Bucks are trying to do on a game in and game out basis, right? Like the game plan basically is to sell out to protect the rim on drives, and that even means breaking some basic defensive principles, like uh, things like helping one pass away or digging down off the strong side corner. Like a lot of teams teach you not to do these things, but the Bucks have gone such to the extreme of trying to make sure that you do not get to the rim or you do not score in the paint that they're actually willing to give you as many threes as you're willing to take, and that's why they gave up the most. Uh, three-point attempts in the league and that's that's basically their strategy so obviously um, that works against a, a team like Orlando and we can switch over to Orlando right now their biggest fear the biggest fear for the magic coming into this series is how are they going to score against the Bucks defense I mean I think that that was the biggest worry they have very few uh, shot creators from the guard and wing position uh, again no Michael Carter not that Michael Carter Williams was some elite shot creator but no Michael Carter Williams no Aaron Gordon no Jonathan Isaac and no uh, Mo Bamba so those four guys all of which would be in the rotation otherwise are all gone and um, overall, it's left it's left uh, Orlando with very few shot creators on the roster. Now, fortunately, uh, Nikola Vucevic has been very good in the series. He's had a few 30-point games, including a big 35-point night in Game 1, which was the only win that Orlando has gotten in this series thus far. And even in the, the other three losses... Uh, Vucevic was very good offensively and he's getting a lot of his points off of post-ups. He's really been able to go at Brooke Lopez in the post and have some success. He's seen some opportunities in the pick and pop game, whether it's from mid range or from three. And, uh, he's got guys like Marco Fultz and DJ Augustine that can create those opportunities for him in the pick and roll. So Vucevic has really been the bright spot for the Orlando Magic, but outside of that, they really have nothing going offensively. You know, Terrence Ross has given them a spark, uh, but guys like um, Evan Fournier have really, really struggled. You know, guys like James Ennis is not going to be relied on to create reliable offense on a game-to-game -game basis. Um, who else? Uh, you know, Wessa Windu, Wessa Windu, Gary Clark. Uh, you know, these guys just can't be relied on to create reliable offense, unfortunately, and that's kind of left in the hands of Guys like Marco Fultz, DJ Augustine, and really Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross, and you know none of the none of those guys are uh, really scaring you if you're Milwaukee with the, some of the elite defenders they have to put on those guys. And uh, basically, you know the Bucks have uh, come to understand also where the where the wall is being built around Giannis. So that's kind of the Bucks strategy, or sorry, the Magic strategy defensively is building a wall around Gian around Giannis, making it difficult for him to uh, to get to the rim and see a bunch of bodies. But the Bucks are starting to figure that out a little bit. They've got guys with them on the wings. They know where their help. They know where the help is coming from. They know where their shots are coming from, and it's making it a lot easier uh, for the Bucks to get up their three pointers and uh, for Giannis to break the wall, uh, knowing that now uh, you've got to uh, you've got these shooters uh, that are starting to knock down some shots. Uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks, so it, there's the the Bucks are starting to figure out the Magic's defensive strategy a little bit, and uh, it's making it tough on them uh, to kind of continue in this series. So the series right now sits at three-one. 
Obviously, my prediction was incorrect with Bucks in four. Looking like this is probably going to be Bucks in five. But um, credit to the Orlando Magic. They're a scrappy team. They have been competitive in this series uh, for the most part. But uh, this is obviously going to end in a Bucks victory, uh, in my opinion. And uh, they will be facing uh, most likely the uh, Miami Heat, which uh, I guess we can get into that series next. Uh, the Indiana... Indiana Pacers versus the Miami Heat. Four Indiana Pacers versus the five-seed Miami Heat. My prediction was the Miami Heat win this in six games, and right now the series is 3-0 with game four uh, commencing as we speak. Uh, this is not a series I watched a lot of. Um, it's, again, kind of tough to watch every game uh, when you do all the stuff that I do and uh, mentioned earlier in the pod. But uh, from Indiana's standpoint, they have had a tough time scoring, uh, and I think some of that might be on the reliance of you know newfound bucket getter T.J. Warren, who obviously went off uh, in the seeding games in the bubble. He hasn't really been the same in the in the playoff series whatsoever. Uh, but but for a few stretches, they're playing you know too much in the half court. I find against this Miami defense, who has just been absolutely stout all year. Uh, they've got zone looks they can throw at you. Obviously, Bam on the back line playing him at center uh, has something uh, has been something that Eric Spolstra has not really messed around with. They're, they went right to him at center and uh, basically eliminated the Myers-Leonard minutes and have just gone uh, with, with Bam at center along with Kelly Olynyk for stretches at center as well. Uh, but that poses a problem. We know the uh, the defensive versatility uh, and ability of a guy like Bam Adebayo. And just in general, I think it would help for the Indiana Pacers to get out and transition a little more. They did put up a nice fight in Game 3 thanks to a big night uh, from Malcolm Brogdon, but still wasn't enough. And, uh, you know, moving on here, Victor Oladipo, you know, he's had some flashes uh, of good offense, but clearly still getting over his injury. Uh, the explosion to the rim, to me, just isn't the same from where it was, you know, in 2018 when he, when he was second team All-NBA. Uh, he's had some moments of hero ball that probably he should probably cut out of his diet uh, a little bit. I get that he's trying to get back into a rhythm, but uh, you know he's taken some bad shots as well. And defensively, obviously, we knew Oladipo was uh, a very good uh, defensive player, and that has slipped a little bit as well. So, not that I had, not that I can blame Oladipo, uh, but uh, I just have to call it like I see it. He hasn't been uh, the same guy since coming back from the injury. Um, Miles Turner has had some nice uh, spots in this series after struggling in game one. Uh, but overall, I just don't think uh, Indiana has the firepower uh, to mess with this Miami defense. Uh, and, uh, you know, Miami, moving over to Miami, you know, the biggest thing that I've seen, you know, so far in the limited time I've watched this series uh, is Goran Dragic has been really good. Uh, replacing Kendrick Nunn in the starting lineup. Kendrick Nunn not even seeing the floor uh, at this point, most likely because of his poor play in the seeding games. But uh, Goran Dragic in the starting lineup, you know, 24 points in Game 1, 20 points in Game 2, and then 24 in Game 3. Uh, he's been really, really good uh, shooting the ball very nicely from 3. Jimmy Butler also getting to his spots and scoring well. Uh, obviously, he is, you know, the primary go-to guy there for the Miami Heat, and, and he's scoring at will. Bam also playing fantastically on the defensive end, like I mentioned. You know, running sets off that elbow has been effective for him. And Duncan Robinson can't seem to miss a three-pointer at this point. He is just really establishing himself as one of the 
excuse me, as one of the elite shooters in this game up there with the J.J. Reddicks, the Kyle Corvers, uh, and any other, uh, you know, uh, pure shooter uh, shooter you want to name, uh, throw him in that category because he is just unbelievable in his ability to get on balance running off these pin downs, uh, setting up screens, uh, being able to get his shot off quickly and with good form and good rhythm. Duncan Robinson is a pure shooter and needs to be talked about as one uh, from here on out. He is, he is drawing shooter's gravity. He he is uh, one of those guys that you need to, uh, you know, almost game plan for. I, I put him right there in the very same mold as a JJ Redick, in my opinion. So, I mean, between the stout defense uh, and the scoring from their best players uh, and the free throw disparity, uh, which Miami has really ruled in this series, taking a lot more free throws than Indiana, you know, Miami has really just dominated this series. There's a reason it's 3-0, and uh, obviously I expect them to move on uh, and take on the Milwaukee Bucks, which should be an interesting series going forward here. Okay, uh, I, I, I told you there wasn't a lot to talk about. That not a lot of these series are exciting in the East. That The West one, the West podcast will definitely be longer because there's more to get into. But uh, we'll talk about Toronto versus Brooklyn. That series, I picked the Raptors in five with the, just the assumption that they would lose game one. Uh, but the Raptors have actually closed out this series and won in four games with a massive explosion of offense last night, including 150 total points, uh, which included 100 of those points coming from the bench, which is just absolutely fantastic and did that all without Kyle Lowry who sprained his ankle. Uh, we don't have a report yet based on what's uh, what it's looking like there from Kyle Lowry, uh, but hopefully nothing that will affect him uh, playing Boston in the next round. Uh, but overall, you know, there's not really a lot to talk about in this series. You know, the Raptors are getting contributions from just about everywhere. You know, uh, Van Vliet hitting eight threes in that game one was fantastic, all the way up to Serge and Norm, uh, Serge Ibaka and Norm Powell going off uh, last night for, yeah, I think it was like 29 points each or something like that. Uh, and each night, somebody's giving you something different. And that's part of the reason the Raptors, you know, had a fantastic offensive game in three of the four games of this series, oh, with game two being the only game that they really won on the back of their defense. You know, Norm Powell, I mentioned, has just been fantastic along with Serge off the bench. And it's great to see that your sixth and seventh guys can really play well. Uh, we know, you know, the Raptors starters being uh, Lowry, Van Vliet, uh, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol struggled in this series, uh, but uh, might have a place next series against Boston, uh, depending on how things shake up. Uh, but uh, and then off the bench, your your six and seven guy being Norm Powell and Serge Ibaka is really nice to get some offense from those guys. And you know the Raptors will probably go about seven or eight guys deep uh, in this next series against Boston. And that eighth guy, you know, is probably looking uh, like some combination of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Terrence Davis, or Matt Thomas. Or if there's an injury to either Ibaka or Gasol. Uh, Chris Boucher very well could get a look as well. Um, so the, the, that'll be a rotation from here on out for the Raptors uh, as they prepare for a very, very tough series against the Boston Celtics. That's going to be a really good one that we're going to talk about uh, in future podcasts for sure. So for Brooklyn, you know, this was kind of an unfair matchup for them. You know, the Nets, given all their injuries and holdouts, I mean, we're talking, you know, K obviously the obvious ones, Kyrie and KD, but, you know, Lavert. Uh, um, sorry, not Lavert. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Wilson Chandler, <coughs> excuse me, DeAndre Jordan. Um, there's a couple other guys as well that uh, Joe Harris left the bubble, obviously. Uh, so you know, very tough for Brooklyn and really overmatched in this series, in my opinion. 
Um, but, you know, there's a few guys like Karis LeVert played really well in this series. He, he really showed that as a primary creator and ball handler, he can really be effective uh, for this team. We'll see how he gets used uh, once Kyrie and KD come back and Dinwiddie. That should be kind of interesting. Uh, Tyler Johnson played well for stretches. Uh, so did Garrett, Te Garrett Temple. And Jared Allen had a few nice stretches as well. So, you know, there there's some guys here in this Brooklyn lineup that could uh, be looking at competing for rotation minutes once the roster is fully healthy. Um, I expect that, uh, you know, there will be some changes in Brooklyn, but I also expect that some of the guys there uh, will be back and part of that Brooklyn rotation because uh, you add Kyrie, KD, uh, Lavert, Dinwiddie, Allen, DeAndre Jordan, Wilson Chandler, uh, you know, even guys like, you know, Garrett Temple and Joe Harris, that is a very nice little 7-8 guy rotation that you can uh, really do some damage with, especially if you add some supplementary pieces around them. So um, I, I would hope that Jacques Vaughn uh, proved enough that he should be at least a candidate for the head coaching job that opens up here in Brooklyn. Uh, that He had this Brooklyn team playing very scrappy uh, defensively. They looked like they were engaged for most of the series, uh, especially in that game two that went right down to the wire. You could really tell that uh, this team was coached very well despite being undermanned. So I really hope that uh, Jacques Vaughn gets another uh, another shot to at least you know compete for a coaching job uh, against uh, whatever candidate uh, Brooklyn decides to bring in if they decide to bring in Eddie at all. So again, uh, two seed versus seven seed. Uh, Toronto the two seed, Brooklyn the seven seed. Uh, Raptors closed them out uh, in a sweep, first sweep in franchise history for the Toronto Raptors. And uh, my prediction was Raptors in five. Raptors actually won in four. Okay, so last series here uh, the. Number three seed Boston Celtics uh, versus the six seed Philadelphia Sixers. I picked the Celtics in six games. The Celtics actually won in four in a sweep. Um, the Celtics dominated this series, man. Just absolutely dominated this series, more so than I thought. Obviously, no Ben Simmons in this series, which was uh, kind of tough for them. But, you know, Boston uh, offensively, much of what Boston was able to score was on the back of, you know, uh, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown at different points in the series. Uh, their ability to create scoring on the backs of their wings and obviously Kemba the point guard really was the difference in this series uh, as that same uh, type of offense in terms of uh, guard and wing shot creators could not be found for the 76ers for the majority of this series. Uh, and, you know, Kemba and uh, Jason Tatum in particular just feasted on the drop pick and roll coverage that the Sixers continued to play and really they didn't really change it up throughout the series. So, you know, drop pick and roll coverage we've talked about this on past podcasts is basically where uh you set the screen right the the ball handler is coming off the screen and the guy the two guys in the pick and roll the second guy is the big man most of the time it was joel and b and Embiid and Al Horford, they basically sag back so that they give the ball handler space uh, to, uh, to basically pull up for a jump shot or attack. But the idea is that you contain the pick and roll between two players and not have to help with the other three players on the court and not have to, uh, you know, have them help off their man. The idea of, of the drop coverage is to contain the pick and roll and, uh, you know, keep it playing two on two. Uh, as we know, the idea of a pick and roll is is to get gain the advantage and play four on three as best as you can. So, the problem when you have this coverage though is when you set is when you sag back and you give the ball handler coming off the screen that you know two, three, four, five feet. 
you know, these are NBA level shooters. They can make these shots. And especially Kemba and Jason Tatum can just basically do their little hop into their jump shot, knowing that Embiid or, or Horford or whoever the big is in this situation is just not going to be close enough to actually come out there and contest their shots. And they were just completely feasting on that coverage. Uh, Tatum and uh, Kemba Walker, close to 40% three-point shooters on high volume. They can really shoot the rock and playing drop coverage against those guys uh game in and game out really proved to hurt the 76ers and uh, i'm really surprised that they didn't change it up Joel Embiid mentioned in a post, uh, it was a good po- it was a good uh, read from Derek Bodner, uh, Philly a beat writer at the Athletic that uh, you know, Joel Embiid wanted to challenge them more but he said something to the effect of uh, they told me to just stay back and uh, the, the word they there implies that this was a coaching staff decision. So uh, that was uh, that was kind of tough to watch at times, and it just kind of you know bothered me when I kept seeing it over and over. I just thought, are they going to come higher, be at the level of the screen, do something? Because these guys are just killing you coming off these screens and just knocking down shots. So the other thing I want to talk about here is the Philadelphia offense and the Boston Celtics defense kind of in one. So much of Philly's offensive game is obviously played through Joel Embiid without the, uh, you know, without having elite shot creators uh, on the, on the perimeter, Uh, you know, Josh Richardson, um, you know, Tobias Harris, you know, these are just not, uh, you know, who else are we talking about? Alec Burks, Shake Milton. Like these guys are just not elite shot creators. So much of Philly's offense is flowed through Embiid uh, and through post-ups. Uh, and who, despite, you know, the criticism in this series, played respectable for most of the series, uh, put up some good stat lines. Uh, but the topic around of conversation around Philly's offense has to be, you know, based on the post-up of Joel Embiid. And, and that's where we can go a little bit deeper into this, despite this being a blowout. So uh, Jared Dubin uh, of uh, 538 put out a great post on why is it so tough for Embiid to actually be effective in the post when he's got a smaller guy on him uh, or even the one-on-one matchup with Daniel Tice. So first of all, Boston was doing a great job of making the initial post entry a very tough task. So what I mean by that is whoever was guarding the guy that was trying to enter the ball into Joel Embiid was making it hard for him to make that pass. And uh, that was uh, that was the first thing that I noticed, whether it was you know Marcus Smart or whoever was guarding Uh, the guy trying to make the pass, they made it very difficult uh, to get the ball into Embiid. And sometimes the, you know, the ball got into uh, Embiid, but just too far out from the basket. So, you know, Embiid would post up from 12 feet and he'd catch it closer to 17 or 18 because the pass was a little bit difficult to get in there. And sometimes the, the, the ball didn't even make it into Embiid at all. And now you're in scramble offense and relying on, you know, subpar shot creators uh, being the guy that I mentioned the guys that I mentioned, uh, to create offense for you, and the offense is now in scramble mode. And so when when Embiid did get the ball in these post-ups, a lot of the time he was catching it further from the basket than he, than he wanted. And then as he would back in, the Boston defender on the strong side was digging down and forcing Embiid to kind of pick up his dribble and then recovering back to the shooter. So... You can picture how that looks like, right? Embiid gets the ball, and basically his back is to the basket, but his but he's facing one Philadelphia 76er shooter and the guy def- defending that Philly shooter. And what that what happens is is that guy defending the Philadelphia shooter he's facing is basically 
sending a little stunt at him or a fake double team where he's trying to make it more difficult for Embiid uh, to create this post up. And as soon as Embiid picks up the ball, because, you know, it's almost become a double team now that he's stunting at him, Embiid picks up the ball and that guy that was stunting at him runs right back to the shooter. So now... He's got to get a repost. He's got to get a pass back uh, out uh, to the three-point line or to the wing and then a repost back into the post. And now you're making Joel, Joel Embiid's you know, post-ups less effective because now you're having to go back and forth and back and forth. And that, that obviously became difficult. And there was also times where that double team basically flustered Embiid and he got the ball stolen from him as well. And then when Embiid was able, uh, you know, to have a clean post up, what happened would be is the double team would come from the weak side over, and basically as Embiid is looking for his shooters on, uh, you know, the opposite side of the floor, Boston is basically playing a four on three zone, three Boston defenders guarding four Philly shooters, or three, bo or sorry, or three Boston defenders. Sorry, my apologies. Two Boston defenders guarding three Philly shooters. So either they're playing a three on four or a two on three uh, in a little zone, and they're basically ball watching Embiid to see where he goes with the with the ball. And he's being doubled. Embiid has always had a problem with turnovers, especially when he's being doubled out of the post. And it made it just very very difficult for Embiid to be effective in the post and for Philly to receive the ball from these shooters. You know, as uh, Embiid was trying to kick it out. And we know a lot of these Philadelphia shooters aren't that great to begin with. That was a lot of what the problem of Philadelphia was. I mean, uh, guy, you know, guys like Matisse Thibel are not great shooters. You know, Josh Richardson at time can be a great shooter. I agree. Furkan Korkmaz can shoot the ball. Tobias Harris was struggling. Thibel, not, obviously not a great shooter. Alec Burks, more of a rhythm shooter. A guy that just needs to take it off the dribble. Al Horford, not a great shooter. Mike Scott, barely got any minutes in the series. Kyle O'Quinn, not really much from there either. And uh, Neto and Shake Milton, obviously tough guys to rely on to make shots consistently. So, um, well, Shake Milton's actually a pretty good uh, spot-up shooter. I can't, I can't lie there. Uh, but the, but it wasn't even necessarily the quality of the shooters that are the problem. Uh, more so that it was the way that Boston was defending these shooters. So credit to Boston. You know they they made it very very difficult uh, for Embiid in this series. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's no surprise that Philadelphia unfortunately goes home uh, in a sweep. And they've got some uh, some, some things to figure out. And uh, Brett Brown. Uh, has also been fired as coach of the 76ers. So looks like Philly will be getting a new coach and looks like some roster changes uh, could be coming uh, in the very near future for that squad as well. All right, thanks so much for listening to the Eastern Conference, I guess, playoff like update, if you will. Like Most of these series are kind of over uh, by now. Uh, hopefully, when there's less games, I'll be able to get into some of these series previews a little bit more detailed. Uh, very soon, we'll have the Western Conference version, which has shown to be much more competitive and something we can talk about a little bit deeper uh, than the Eastern Conference, just given the competition level in these series. And, uh, yeah, we'll get you that one hopefully within the next couple of days, maybe even uh, tomorrow. Uh, or if you're, if you're hearing this on Tuesday, uh, you would probably get the next one by probably Wednesday or Thursday. So I will do my best to get it out as quickly as possible. But, nonetheless, we will do the Western Conference version in good time. Uh, so thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon.